So I don't know if the average person recognizes this. I consider myself to be the average person, but um, I'm up here a little more than uh, other average folks, and uh, it's always amazing to me uh, how they're already heading out, but it's amazing to me how our band is uh, always ready to go. This, this, whole, this whole genre of Advent Christmas music, we kind of put it in the box with our tree in January, and then we pull it back out about December. And just like your tree might need some fluffing, um, these guys get out and they fluff those songs and they're ready to go. Isn't that amazing? It's good stuff. And those are, those are songs that were written, you know, 100, 200, 300 years ago that we have to take and, and uh, arrange in a way that we play with these instruments. Those songs were not written uh, for these kinds of instruments. So to the average observer like myself, it sounds like really good music. And uh, it's even more than that. There's, it's, it's an amazing blessing to have the band that we do. So uh, thank you to you guys. So in... Uh, well, the current the current year uh, is the year 2020, which nobody has mistaken that. And we we look around and see if you, if you look around and you, if you have a Facebook page or some other kind of social media, you'll see all these memes about 2020 and how you know 2020 is just the worst year ever, and nothing's as bad as 2020. And can 2020 be over? As if as if the moment that January 1st, 2021 happens. Like there's going to be this whole new reality. Now, are y'all looking forward to January 1st, 2021? Our lives will be better that day, right? We all want this magical thing to happen to make all the challenges of our current world go away. For some of those, those are very real. They're life and death. Uh, they're, they're, the, they're economic. They're the most difficult things. For others, it's just the inconvenience of it. Uh, the inconvenience of having to wear a mask, the inconvenience of having to Zoom or social distance or whatever that may be. Wh- whether you're on the inconvenience spectrum or the life and death spectrum, wherever that is, we all just want 2020 to go away. If only the problems could be gone. Well, I got to thinking about uh, our text today and Jesus being born. And, you know, the, the year 2020 is actually based upon... Uh, an estimation of when Christ was actually born. It's, 20, it's, it's 2,020 years after something. And that 2,020 years after something is when Christ was born. Dionysius, uh, I'm gonna, hopefully I don't mess this up, ex, ex, exiguous uh, in 525 uh, created this dating system whereby we currently number our years. And he was actually off by about four to six years. Jesus was actually born around 5 B.C., most scholars think. So can you see Mary and Joseph going to Bethlehem in the last month of her pregnancy? Can you see her looking at Joseph going, man, I can't wait till year 5 B.C. is just over with. Man, can we just get to four? I am so ready for four. Lord, help us get to four. There's something about history and time uh, we just think time will, will make things better. But in reality, I think the key to a lot of this is to think about the lens through which we are viewing reality. If there is one thing we do when we worship, 
It's to help us to make sure our lenses are adjusted. Currently, I'm wearing contact lenses. I don't see my contacts. I see through them. And it's because I see through them that I'm actually able to see you guys. The lenses that we wear make all the difference on how we perceive life, how we interpret what's going on in our lives, and how we live our lives in response to that interpretation. You can have two different people going through very similar situations. And because one has a certain kind of a lens and another has a different kind of a lens, then they interpret their situations differently and therefore they respond differently. What that means is what needs to change isn't just 2020. What needs to change is us. That's one of the things you and I actually have control over. I have control over my attitude, even though sometimes it doesn't feel like I have control over my attitude. I have control over the way that I see the world, the way that I see myself, the way that I see other people, and the way that I see God. And what I harbor in my heart, what I tend to, what I cultivate, the seeds that I plant, I will reap someday. And if I plant bitterness, I will reap bitterness. If I plant a lack of gratitude, I will reap an ungrateful heart. But if I can go through life, and if you can go through life, even in the midst of a 2020 kind of year, and we can be grateful for the blessings, and we can ask God to show us where He is working, even over against all the evidence that This world is still not fully, the kingdom of God has not fully arrived yet. If we can see those things, then we are going to be in really good shape. The lens through which we look at things. So we tend to view the Christmas story through a certain lens as well. When you have a story like the Christmas story, and it gets told year after year after year, For a couple of thousand years, something happens to that story. You know, there's all kinds of gaps in the story. And when there's a gap in the story, you fill that with your imagination. And once you fill that with your imagination and you pass that story on, the the story kind of become has other layers to it that may or may not be congruent with the original story. So one example of that is we tend to have this kind of narrative of the Christmas story where Mary is, is and Joseph are on their way into Bethlehem and she's having contractions and Joseph's pulling the donkey along and, and they're just now getting into town and those contractions are close and this baby could be coming really soon and he's knocking on all kinds of doors and everybody opens the door, sees this pregnant woman and shuts it and is like, get out of here, there's no room here. And he finally goes to the the Holiday Inn and and they say, well, we're out of vacancy, but I got a barn in the back. You can can hang out back there for a reduced rate. And so they go and Jesus is born in this this barn out in the back behind a, a hotel. That's part of the imagination of it all. Well, I want to reframe that just a little bit. Because in reality... Where Mary and Joseph stayed, which, which is a word we don't always know exactly how to translate. It's the Greek word kataluma. 
And Cataluma in the Gospel of Luke is only mentioned one other time. It's when Jesus tells his disciples, hey, we're going to go have the Passover and we're going to celebrate it at this person's house. And so we're going to go to his Cataluma, which was his guest room. There's another Greek word for inn or hotel, if you will. And that's the word that Luke uses for the, the Samaritan. The good Samaritan who, who picks up the beaten up person on the side of the road, he takes him and he puts him up in the inn or in the hotel. But he did not put him up in the Cataluma. Cataluma is very likely a guest room. So it's highly likely that Mary and Joseph were staying in the home of someone who was hospitable. Could have been, a, could have very well likely have been Joseph's family because that's where he originally was from. And it's highly likely that they got there well before the baby, you know, Mary was in labor. All of those are kind of details we fill in uh, as we go. I think sometimes it's good to kind of pull those back out and strip those uh, to get down to the bones of the story a little more. The manger would have been inside uh, the house, a certain kind of addition to the house, because in Israelite culture, they brought their animals into the house at night to keep the animals warm and for the animals to heat the house, as well as to protect the animals from getting stolen. So for Jesus to be born in the area where the animals were was just this part that was attached to the house, maybe even connected uh, where you could... Uh, there, there was some ventilation or a way to even see uh, the, the manger in the area. So that might change your lens of the story a little bit. It's always good to kind of come back and reshape that and rethink that. There's other ways that we can relook at this story. If you look at the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Mark doesn't even talk about the birth of Jesus. He just goes right into Jesus as an adult. John gets all philosophical and theological, but there's no narrative. He says things like, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. But there's no eight-pound, six-ounce baby Jesus coming along. Just this philosophy, theology. It's Matthew and Luke who give us the story. And Matthew and Luke give us two different perspectives. Matthew's perspective is what I like to call kind of a, a top-down perspective. You have this genealogy, and it begins with God and Adam, and it goes through Abraham, and it goes through David, comes all the way down through Joseph and to Jesus. Later on, you have these magi coming from the east, these uh, royal kinds of persons, and they're coming, and they're wealthy, and they're looking for this child, this king of the Jews. It's a top-down version. But Luke has a whole different angle on this thing. Luke does start out with this Caesar Augustus decree. He talks about the powers of this world, the, those who are in charge and the political powers of the world. But, but Luke gets to kind of this bottom-up version rather quickly. He focuses on John the Baptist, this off-the-grid, strange prophet guy. And John the Baptist, who happens to be Jesus' cousin. He, later on in this text, and we'll get to it here in a little bit, he, he 
reveals these shepherds. He he highlights these shepherds, midnight graveyard shift working shepherds, no name, nobody knows who they are, coming in the middle of the night to see this baby and then leaving. It's this humble, bottom-up way. And that's really who Jesus is. He's both and. There is a a painting by Michelangelo. Uh, You're probably, we're all probably familiar with it. It's it's in the Sistine Chapel, and it's uh, part of the painting uh, called The Creation of Adam. And in that painting, there is a a place where, where God's hand is reaching out. So God's hand is actually on the right there, and that's Adam's hand on the left. And so you have God reaching out to Adam, and there, there's a little gap there in between their fingers. Now, there's a lot of people who have ruminated about the theology of that gap between God and man. That Why did Michelangelo keep the gap there? Is God about to touch Adam? Is he giving him his life? You know, what, what's going on there? And whatever, whatever all that is and whatever all that means, there is something to say about this distance. There is a gap between divinity and humanity. And that gap is something we can never get to God with. Those who built the Tower of Babel trying to climb their way up into the heavens, they couldn't make it. There's only one way for that gap to be bridged. And the bridger of that gap is Jesus himself. Jesus is the hand on the left. Jesus is the hand on the right. He is divinity. He is humanity in one package. The Savior of the world come into this world. He bridges the gap. Jesus is the point where the the highest things The things of the heavenlies meet the lowest things, the things down here on earth. We see this right after Jesus is born. I'm going to pick it up with Luke 2, verse 8. It says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news, a great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly... With the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God 
for they had all heard and seen as had hit, as it had been told them. In this moment, these shepherds, the today's equivalent of shepherds is it's it's the folks that never they never make it in into the public eye. It's those folks who are quiet and humble. They work hard. Uh, maybe they work the midnight shift. They might be asleep right now because they worked last night. You know, they're, they're people who are just common, ordinary people. They're off the radar. They don't have fame or popularity. These are the people that God sent His angel to go and witness and confirm the birth of His Son. Isn't that crazy? That's like saying if Jesus was born in Lubbock, Texas today, that, that somewhere in the middle of tonight, while you and I might be asleep, he goes and secretly sends an angel to some small group of people somewhere. And then those people are already back on their shift by the time you and I wake up in the morning. It's kind of stealth mode, isn't it? Makes me wonder if Jesus was born in Lubbock, Texas. Because God, God picked the time and place. He could have picked Lubbock, Texas 2020. If Jesus was born in 2020, would we have had a clue? Would we have known? Probably not. Most people in Bethlehem might not have even known. Who knows? But here's what's crazy about this whole thing. If the highest things of God are going to meet the lowest things of the world, the most humble things of the world, the down-to-earth things, the everyday things, then there are times in which the spectacular things of God will just seem very, very ordinary. Usually when God gives a sign, it's something miraculous. Here's a sign that this will happen to you. You know, you're going to be healed or, or so-and-so is going to be cursed. All these signs. What's the sign of this baby? What's the sign of this amazing Savior? A baby in a manger. Wrapped in swaddling clothes. What kind of sign is that? That is about as ordinary and unspectacular as you can get. And yet, Jesus was probably the only baby in a manger in Bethlehem that night. It's probably not something that happened very often. God sent His Son into the world in the strangest of ways. If, if this was a candidate running for office, then the campaign manager should be fired because this is not the way you come out into the world. This isn't the way you say, I declare that I'm running for president. I'm going to be the king of the world, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. It's not how we do things, is it? Jesus is born in a small town, not even the town he ends up growing up in. Probably not even with the midwife or the, the hospital that Mary had already planned to go to. In the humble dwellings of someone's home, likely a crowded place. Very far away from the seat of Augustus Caesar, Quirinius, Herod powers of this world. 
And then the announcement invitation was given to just a few shepherds, some strangers, who really aren't thought of that highly anyway. I mean, actually, who, they, who are these guys going to tell? And if those shepherds go and tell everybody, who in the world's going to believe them? Later, of course, the Magi and Matthew come looking for him, but those guys are from far, far away. Of course, at this time, God's wanting to keep things under the radar to keep Jesus out of danger because the kings of this world don't understand that the king of the Jews is royalty that is of a different kind. But still, God saw to it that His beloved Son came into the world in this most ordinary way. In fact, if you look at Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 7, it's the only moment in all the Gospels that says, Jesus was born. Here it is, He's born. Here's the story. Matthew skips over, it's like, yeah, after Jesus was born, da 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 What's also fascinating is Jesus' name is not even in here in Luke chapter 2. Isn't that nuts? Mary gave birth to her firstborn son. Some shepherds came. I mean, there's not a lot of press given to this. God sneaks into the world. In the midst of this life that Mary and Joseph lived. Mary, a pregnant teenager, engaged but not married when this pregnancy happens. You can't escape the rumor mill when that's going on in first century Nazareth or Bethlehem. What does that do to a woman's reputation in 5 B.C.? And then, of course, just... A few months earlier, Mary had already made this nine-day journey, 80-mile journey, down to see her cousin Elizabeth. And after about three months, she went back up to Nazareth, and then all of a sudden this census happens. And Joseph and Mary have to go back down on an eight- or nine-day journey. I don't know what the equivalent of a nine-day journey for you and I would be. I don't know. Mount Everest, Antarctica, I can get anywhere in nine days almost. They have to go back. And I can hear Mary saying, man, I can't wait till it's 4 B.C. This year five is just for the birds. But it's in the midst of this inconvenient mess. It's in the midst of this mess where Herod's doing his thing and Caesar Augustus is, is putting out this census call, moving around people like little pawns on a chessboard, making their lives inconvenient at best, miserable at worst. I mean, what, what reminds you that you're not in charge more than some guy a thousand miles away saying, yeah, we should do this, and then you have to go a hundred miles and, and, and you're pregnant? It's in the midst of this inconvenient mess that Jesus shows up on the scene. He doesn't show up in a palace. The whole world doesn't know. He's not protected by guards and 
and gates. It's under the radar, announced to some shepherds in a very humble home, most likely, to two people who did not expect it to be this way at this time or this place. And so the question for you and I is, is that if God decides to show up on the scene in the form of Jesus in the year 5-ish B.C. to a humble couple, and He shows up not where they, are, they live, but over here, and He shows up and He doesn't really tell anybody except some shepherds who aren't going to tell anybody anyway, There's people out there within a year or two who want to kill Jesus. If God's willing to come into that world, is it not also true that God wants to come into your world right now? Do you think God's going to just wait until 2021 to come into your world? Or is it possible that God is right in front of your face today and you just don't see Him? Because we're so distracted by all the stuff going on what we see on TV, what we see in the news, what we see on our social media pages, have taken our eyes off of Jesus right in front of us. Those shepherds, they did not have smartphones. They did not have the day's equivalent of a smartphone. They weren't distracted by the things of this world. I hope that you and I can find space in our hearts not to be distracted and to see that this is the kind of mess, whatever mess you're in, is the mess that God shows up in. In the words of Jesus, may we have eyes to see and ears to hear. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, It's just crazy to think that you came into this world in such a crazy way. And you're in our world today. And you're not up there for the whole world to see, but you reveal yourself to the humble. Lord, make your people, make us humble today. So that when you show up, we would not miss you. But that we would see and hear and know you're with us. That we would experience Emmanuel today. Lord, whatever is distracting us, work, politics, world events, death, sickness, anxiety, whatever it is, O oh Lord, that's screaming and shouting at us right now. We need your grace. We need you to, to help us to see beyond that and to have our focus on you. Come, thou long-expected Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.